Hebrews chapter 2. No, I'm not on. There we go. You got to pull the string. I thought it was just a button. That's a joke. Well, it's good to see everyone this morning. Great crowd today. Thank the Lord for that. I was, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. We adopted you all, and I think you adopted us. And uh, we feel like family here. I don't think there's another one or two other pulpits that I'm more comfortable in than this one here. And um, Brother Greg, I preach a message. Uh, matter of fact, I preached it to Pakistan on Friday. And the title of the message is Facing Your Giants. It's about David and Goliath. And uh, I teach in that lesson, how are we supposed to get the victory over giants in our life? I'm not preaching that this morning. But uh, one of the points is, uh, remember your past victories. You know what David said to Saul when Saul didn't think that David was warrior enough to take on Goliath? David said, I killed a lion and a bear. <laughs> you know that story? He said, I killed a lion and a bear. And, I, and I, he said, I took the kid of the flocks out of the lion's mouth and out of the bear's mouth. You know what David was saying? He's remembering his past victories, past giants that he's slain, so to speak, because he's facing one now. And Brother Greg, you all had some giants to face here. And you know what? We can, we can stand here today and look back at past victories. And do you know what David did with, uh, with Goliath's uh, armor? Does anybody know what David did with Goliath's armor? He took his armor, by the way. He, David put it in his own tent. You know what I think? I think every time David was about to face another giant, he went back to his tent, and he just opened his, yep, I killed him, <laughs> and pulled the curtain back. You'll have more giants to face in the future, but just pull the tent back every now and then and look at the Goliath that you slayed and how God has given you the victory. Wednesday night, I kicked off the conference. Dr. Clark did Thursday, and Brother Evans did Friday. And then, of course, we're finishing up today. And I gave you one word on Wednesday night. It wasn't even part of the message, but I gave you a word that Jesus said we're supposed to occupy till he comes. I gave you a translation of that word or a definition of that word. Someone tell me what the word in the King James Bible for occupy means. You remember? Pastor knows. It means transact business. It's a business term. Matter of fact, it's a banking financial term. You know what we're doing here? We're transacting God's business. You say, preacher, that's, that's trivializing the spirituality of it all. No, it's being practical. I think my Savior was a practical Savior, don't you? And he tells us that we're supposed to transact business. Here's what we're doing. I believe that Buckingham is at a place now, once the giants have been slain, that you can go on and transact God's business and evangelize your community and through your missions program, evangelize the world. As I prayed about the message today, uh, God wouldn't let me get away from the message that I'm preaching. Brother John's choice of song uh, before the service uh, just ratified uh, the message that I'm preaching. Hebrews chapter 2, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word if you have the strength and ability to stand? And I want to read verses 9 through the end of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. Give me the first four words. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom all are all things, and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all one, for which cause he is not ashamed to, be call, to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that he through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, give me his name, and deliver them who through fear of death were all, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not unto him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in 
things pertaining to God. And to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Let's pray. Father in heaven, bless now the reading of your word. Help your people. Save someone who's lost. Encourage one who's discouraged. Draw to yourself the backslider. But most important of all, glorify yourself. We love you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I guess verse 9 would be the jumping board into the message, but we see Jesus. The title of the message this morning is The Greatest Missionary. Gabriel, just give me a little volume. I'm straining my voice just a little bit. The Greatest Missionary. Look at verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. I don't want to get political here, but the Lord is impressing this upon me. I would like to think it's the Lord. We're reading the book of Hebrews. The Hebrew people we would consider to be the Jewish people. Now, whatever your position is on what's going on in the Middle East right now, let me just make some statements. Uh, it's not about a piece of land, though we think it's about a piece of land. Uh, I could give you the history of Abraham and Ishmael and Isaac and all that. I'm not going to go there. The battle's old. This war is old. And this war is not going to end until Jesus comes. Uh, but I want you to understand something. This book is the book of Hebrews. You know who the Word of God was given to? The Jewish people. Do you know, humanly speaking, uh, what race Jesus was? He was a Jew. Uh, do you know that our judicial system is based on Judeo-Christian principles? Based on, on the Word of God? The war that you see going on it's not about the Jew. It's not about the Muslim. It's about Jesus. It's an attack on Jesus. You know where he's going to come back to? Jerusalem. You know specifically, geographically, where he's going to come back to? Mount of Olives. He said so. And so when we come to this passage of Scripture, we're reading about Jesus. We're in missions conference, and so what better way than to establish the foundation of a missions program but to be based upon the foundation of Christ? The Bible says no other foundation can be laid which is laid, which is Christ. Now watch now, we're all trying to, to build our own foundations. Uh, we're trying to build upon foundations that are sinking sand and we're watching it all crumble and fall down like a house of cards. Help me, church. Now I'm not a doomsday preacher because I believe in hope. And the hope is a person. It's the blessed hope. It's Jesus. I'm not here to discourage you. I'm here to encourage you. But you know that diamonds look better on the backdrop of black velvet. Hello. And so sometimes a positive looks better on the backdrop of a negative. Help me, church. I don't want to preach about hell. That's a negative. But I want to preach about heaven. Heaven looks better when it's on the backdrop of hell. Help me, church. We're talking about Jesus. He's the foundation of it all. Whatever you're seeing... Whatever you're going through, and I know that life is not about an hour on a Sunday morning in an independent fundamental Baptist church. I understand there's a lot more to life. I live it too. And just because I do this, I don't get up in the morning in a white robe and pray 24 hours a day. I have to live life too. And sometimes life can smack you upside the head. Hello. And knock the spiritual wind right out of you. I hate admitting that. I would like to think myself more of a mature Christian than that, but it happens. But you're here today not to see me. You may not even be here for the missions program. You're here to see Jesus. And I've been given the mandate, preacher, but also the blessed opportunity to talk about Christ. He said, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. I am here to proclaim the person of the Son of God. I am here to proclaim to you Jesus, Emmanuel, the virgin born, incarnate Son of God. The Bible says of Christ, in Him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You wrapped your theological minds around that because I can't. I, I don't like using simple phraseology to describe Christ, but watch now. He was God in a container. We see it on the Mount of Transfiguration when His Shekinah glory came out. 
that who he was was seen. Peter went out of his mind. Did he not, Doc? Let's build three monuments here. Let, let, let's build tabernacles here. And so I want, I, want, I want to amaze you with Jesus. I want you to walk out of this church today and say, wow, not what a sermon, not what a preacher, what a Savior. To proclaim Christ, oh, pastor, what a cushy job we have. We get to stand up here for 30, 40 minutes and talk about Jesus. If that's all there was to ministry, whoa, walk in the park, piece of cake, it's all that other stuff that goes with it. There have been many great missionaries. We think of Dr. David Livingston, took the gospel and medicine to Africa. When his body was returned, I believe it was Scotland, they had noticed that his chest had been opened and discovered that his heart had been taken out. And those natives said, you can have his heart, his body, but his heart belongs to Africa. And the heart of Dr. Livingston is buried under a Mapundu tree, and there's a monument marking the spot. There's been a great missionary by the name of C.T. Studd. He worked in two continents, Africa and India, back in the day. Hello. Worked in two continents. He was a multimillionaire. Uh, he was a sportsman, but he gave it all up to serve Jesus. And he is quoted as saying, some want to live within the sound or church or chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell. There's Hudson Taylor, missionary to China. He actually wore the silk pajamas. He grew his hair and, and had that Chinese ponytail. I think it's called a quay, if I'm not mistaken. Trying to adapt, he, would, he and his wife would bathe in tea to make their skin more yellow so that they would blend in to the Chinese people. He's the one who said, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. William Carey, we call him the father of modern missions. He was a missionary to India. He's the one who's quoted as saying, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Adoniram Judson, missionary to Burma, Nowadays, it's called Miramar. He was the first Protestant foreign missionary from America. David Brainerd answered the call to work with the American Indian. He gave his life reaching the Indians of America with the gospel. He died at the age of 27. A more contemporary missionary by the name of Jim Elliott, him and several other pilots went to reach the Alca Indians of Ecuador. This was a primitive people, never saw a, a, a white man, let alone a Bible. He was speared by the Alca Indians there on the shore of the river. Found in the leaflet of his Bible was this phrase, he is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. His wife, Elizabeth, wrote a book entitled Through Gates of Splendor. I challenge you to read that book. She went back to Ecuador to reach the very natives that killed her and several other, killed her husband and several other missionaries and began to win those Alka Indians to Christ. The man who speared Jim Elliott was, I may still be, the pastor of the church there. But none is so great a missionary as our precious Lord. And we can't compare him to any other missionary. He surpasses it all because he's the son of God. But I want to compare what modern missionaries do to what Jesus did, but in a greater way. And let me give you some thoughts, and I'm not going to try to be long, but just to give you some wonderful thoughts about Jesus being the greatest missionary. He came, number one, he came from the furthest place. He came from the furthest place. We talk about missionary miles. Brother Evans uh, his car's not, not even two years old. He's got 60-some thousand miles on his car. Uh, the, the dealership told him he better put tires on it. And Brother Evans said, i got to go to Ohio to a meeting. The guy said, you better put tires on it before you go to that. And so praise the Lord, in our gypsy ministry in Kissimmee, two weeks ago, we were able to raise $1,200 for him to get tires for his car. Thousands of miles by land and by air, some by sea. But none came from the furthest place than our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 47 says, The first man is of the earth, the earthy, but the second man is the Lord from heaven. Jesus came from the furthest place, and 
He came from a most glorious place. He, he traveled in a most unusual way and through the womb of a virgin. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. He entered this world in the most unusual circumstances. He was born in a barn, laid in a manger. He was proclaimed by angels to the shepherds. Why didn't those angels go to the kings? Why didn't they go to those in authority of religion and politics and science? But they went to shepherds. He was worshipped by men of the east who traveled thousands of miles because they saw a star. And the reason they came was to worship him. And I got good news for you, church. Wise men still seek him. He was sought by kings to be destroyed when Herod declared that all male children two years and under should be destroyed, hoping that he might scoop up Jesus. So Jesus is the greatest missionary because he came from the furthest place. Number two, he's the greatest missionary because he left the most glorious of possessions. Some missionaries will try to calculate what they leave behind. But none can compare to what our Savior left behind. He left a glorious heaven. John chapter 3, verse 13, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. He left the ivory palaces, Psalm 45, verse 8, all thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia, out of the ivory palace whereby they have made thee glad. He left the streets of gold, Revelations 21, 21, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold as it was transparent glass. What we wear on our fingers we'll walk on in heaven. He left the crystal sea, Revelation chapter 4, verse 6, and before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne round about were four, and twenty, uh, four beasts full of eyes before and behind. He left a glorious relationship as he left uh, his father. John 17, 5 says, as he prays, O now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had before the world was. 1 John 1, 2 says, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it and bear witness and showed you an eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Jesus is the manifestation of the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, he said to Downing Thomas, you've seen the Father. First John chapter 1, verse 3, that which we have seen, the disciples say, John says, that's which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He left the glorious relationship, but He also left a glorious throne. Acts chapter 7, verse 49, Jesus said, Heaven is my throne. Revelation chapter 6, verse 16 says, Him that setteth, on the throne. Revelation chapter 7 verse 10. And he cried with a loud voice saying. Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne. And unto the Lamb. Revelation chapter 7 verse 15. Therefore are they before the throne of God. And serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne. That shall dwell among them. He is king of kings. And lord of lords. And he reigns with his father. And sits upon the throne. I ask you church this morning. Who sits on the throne of your heart? Who's in charge? Who have you given free reign to to control your life and say, I'll do your bidding. Will you tell me to go, I'll go. What you tell me to say, I will say. What you tell me to do, I will do. Who is the king of your life? And most of us are charting our own course. We're doing our own thing. I, I'm, a, I'm a product of the 70s. It was Woodstock. Three days of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And the motto back then, Doc, was we're doing our own thing, man. But everybody wore fringed bell-bottom jeans, suede jackets with fringe, and had their hair down to here. They weren't doing their own thing. They were conforming to nonconformity. Why do you think God calls us sheep? <laughs> we're followers. And sometimes we'll follow the wrong leader. You know what we follow in this country? Materialism. The God of materialism. Oh, may he be the king of our life because he left the glorious throne and he's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy to be magnified. He's worthy to be lifted up. Listen to me, church. I've given my life 
to exalt the person of Jesus Christ, and I'm feeble at it. I'm feeble, preacher. My mouth just will not formulate the words. My mind will not formulate the thoughts. My heart is just not big enough to really proclaim who he really is. But through his word, we see him as the king sitting upon the throne. Tell me he's not the greatest missionary. It is at his throne that we will cast our crowns. Revelations chapter 4, verse 10 the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sits on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor forever and ever. The Bible talks about that we as Christians, we can strive for crowns. The Bible says our works will be tested according to the book of 1 Corinthians. The Bible says that our works will be tested by fire at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, Christians should not be afraid of the judgment seat of Christ because the judgment seat is Christ and not about your sins being judged. Our sins were judged upon the cross of Calvary. And when you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your person, your sins were atoned. The word atoned means they were covered and God was satisfied. The punishment and the death of Jesus Christ satisfied the wrath and judgment of God for sin. Therefore, we can consider ourselves to be cleansed and forgiven by the grace of God, not of our merit, nothing that we have done, but because of His grace and His mercy. But the Bible says that every Christian will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul says it this way, that we may give an account of the things done in our body, whether they be good or bad. Now, you're not going to give an account of your past sins, present sins, or future sins. You're going to give an account of what you've done for Christ since he entered your heart. And let me say this. It's not the quantity. It's the quality. Do you know the Bible says that cups of cold water given in the name of a disciple will not lose its reward? I said that at a gypsy funeral and gypsies got up and went and got me bottles of water. They're smart. If cups of cold water given the name of a disciple, will not lose its reward. What will God give us when we invite somebody to church or pass out a gospel tract or present the gospel to someone or give to missions? And so the Bible says it's a judgment seat. Your works are going to be judged. And the Bible says they're tested by fire. Did you ever think about that? Fire in heaven? I didn't think there was fire in heaven, did you? I thought fire was in hell. A description of Christ in the book of Revelation says that his eyes were as a flame of fire. Do you know what's going to judge our work? The fiery eyes of Christ. For fire is a symbol of judgment. Now watch now. Your sins will not be judged at the cross. At the judgment of Christ because they were, they were judged at the cross. But your works will be judged. And when your works are judged, the Bible says... If we, if we pass those tests, we will receive a reward. And those rewards come in the form of crowns. And the Bible teaches five crowns. I'm not going to teach you about all the crowns, but I just want to look at that verse one more time in Revelations chapter 4, verse 10. says, The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat upon the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Listen to me, church. Do you know what we're going to do with those crowns? We're going to lay them at the nail-scarred feet of Jesus because he's deserving of them. And I don't know about you, church, but I want to get as many crowns as I can get because I will not stand. I will not stand before my Savior empty-handed. And can you imagine what judgment day will be like? There will be a mountain of crowns glistening before the Lord of lords and King of kings in glory. And this gypsy preacher wants to get one more crown on the top of that mountain of crowns. He left a glorious heaven. He he left the greatest of possessions. He left this throne in heaven. Number three, he paid the greatest price. Talk about what, what makes Jesus the greatest missionary. 1 John 3.16 says this, Hereby perceive we, understand, comprehend, hereby perceive we the love of God. Why? Because he laid down his life for us. Jesus laid down his life. I want you to go with me to chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews. And I want you to look at a few thoughts. Look at verse 5. 
You're in the book of Hebrews already. Look at verse 5, Hebrews 10, verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. Look at verse uh, 7. Then said, Lo, I come in the volume of this book. It is written to do thy will, O God. You see, he paid the greatest price because he gave his life. This book is about Jesus, cover to cover. Genesis to Revelation, it's about Christ. We say it's woven together with a scarlet thread of redemption. Watch now. You will not know Christ without this book. That's why this book was given, so we can know Christ and have a personal and intimate relationship with him. Now, as I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit deals with my mind. And he starts telling me things. You know, many times we talk in theological jargon. We Sometimes we say words, born again, get saved. And to us, they mean things. But to some people, they mean absolutely nothing. They don't have no idea what you're talking about. When we talk about salvation, when we talk about reconciliation, when we talk about justification... Doctor, most people don't understand that stuff. I can remember a day and age when we used to run a bus route and you get all those kids on the bus and you start teaching them the Bible and you start saying, well, you know what David did? And they all shout out, yeah, he killed Goliath. You know what happened to Daniel and the lions? And they all go, yeah, we know what happened to Daniel and the lions. You know what? You do that on a bus today, they don't know what you're talking about. And so the Holy Spirit is telling me that maybe there's somebody in here who don't understand this terminology. Here's the bottom line. We're sinners. We violated God's laws. He said don't and we did. He said do it and we didn't. Help me. You say, well, I'm not a big sinner. In the economy of God, it's all big sin. Why? Because it all crucified his son, the Lord Jesus. When he said God so loved the world, he didn't say just big sinners. He said the world, that includes all sinners. And according to James, the brother of our Lord, in James chapter 2, verse 10, listen to me closely, please. He said if you offend, if you're guilty, if you break, if you offend one area of the law, you're guilty of it all. In the economy of God, watch now church, we're all guilty. And you say, well, uh, you know what? When I stand before God, I got a bone to pick. I'm, I got some things I'm going to tell him. The Bible says when we stand before the throne of God, watch now, every mouth will be stopped. When you go into our judicial system in America, can you speak in the courtroom without the judge's permission? Go try it. You'll be found contempt. Huh? What makes us think we're going to be able to speak at his, in his courtroom? We're sinners. You say, preach, that's a big problem. You got that right. Sin has to be paid for. Hmm? The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, we're sinners, but the price was paid. Jesus, when he shed his blood on the cross of Calvary, watch now, he paid for this gypsy's sins he paid for your sins. He paid for the sins of the world. Watch now. And that grace can be appropriated to you by faith. When you say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross, was buried, rose from the third day, come into my heart and save me. And I promise you, based upon the word of God, that you will be saved. You said, preacher, chapter and verse. I'm glad you asked. Jesus says, I quote him a lot. <laughs> Jesus says in Revelations chapter 3, verse 20, hey, this isn't in the outline. I stand, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in to him. Jesus is a gentleman. He does not come where he's not invited. The heart belongs to you. You're in charge of that door. Satan would like to force himself in, but he can't. A lot of people let him in. Christ could force himself in, but he don't because he wants to be invited. 
Maybe you're here today, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. i got good news for you. You can be saved. You can be saved. He paid the greatest price. Gave his life on the cross of Calvary. What price has any other man paid for the cost of others? Hebrews 2.9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Listen to me, church. Christ died. The incarnate Son of God died. He bled. He died. His heart stopped beating. He died. He was beaten. He died. He wore a crown of thorns. He died. His back was beaten with the Roman cat of nine tails. He died. But he didn't stay dead. Three days. Buried in the tomb. Mary came looking for him. And the angel said, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? Did she forget that he said, I am the resurrection and the life? Christ rose from the dead. It proves that he's God. The Bible says death couldn't hold him. She sure did try, didn't she? <laughs> she couldn't hold him. You go to any burial place of any other so-called Savior in the world, and you know what you'll find? They're ashes. You go to the grave of Buddha, you know what's there? His ashes. You go to the grave of Muhammad, you know what you'll find? His ashes. You go to the grave of even Mary, the wife of Joseph and human mother of Jesus, and you know what you'll find in her grave if you can find it? Her ashes. But you go to the tomb of Jesus, and you know what's in there? Hallelujah, absolutely nothing. Christians pay hundreds of millions of dollars to travel to the Middle East, to look inside a cave, and see nothing. Praise God, they bring back the testimony, Simone, it's still empty. He paid the highest price. He died. He died for you and I. None like the suffering of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And, and here's another thought. Not only did he leave the greatest possessions and came the furthest distance and, and, um, and left the glorious possessions and paid the greatest price, but number four, he came for the most godless of people. Jesus doesn't pick and choose what sinner he saves. Hello? The gospel, are you ready for this, is a one-size-fits-all. It's not a gospel for the rich man. It's not a gospel for the poor man. It's not a different gospel for the black man. It's not a different gospel for the white man. It's not a different gospel for the gypsy. It's not a different gospel for the homosexual. It's not a different gospel for the heterosexual. It's the same gospel for all. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He died for the worst of sinners, which includes me. Romans 5, 6 says, for when we were yet without strength, in, two, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. And he said, well, preacher, I... Uh, I, I've never been ungodly. Uh, you're not insinuating that I would be considered ungodly. But let me give you some verses. Would you like some verses? Maybe somebody will say no. <laughs> <laughs> For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Isaiah says it best when he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Daniel says we've been weighed in the balances and come up wanting. We're short of the glory of God, according to Romans chapter 3. Simone does baking at special times of the year. And uh, so there's some things, believe it or not, she wears these high heels, but she's only five foot two. But there's things on the top shelf, Doc, that she can't reach. And I'm not that much taller than her, but I can reach them. If not, when she's not looking, I get out the one step and get it and say, I did it. 
Sometimes she's short of what she needs. Huh? There's that baking dish she only uses one time a year. You know? It's on the top because you don't use it every day. And she's short. She can't reach it. Watch now. We're short. You know what we're short, love? The glory of God. So we can't get up to the glory. So you know what the glory did? Say it, brother. He came to us. There's a song that Squire Parsons sings. He came to me. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. October 4th, 1980, God reached down to the muck and mire of this wretched planet and he saved my wicked soul. He came to me. Do you remember the day he came to you? No, we're all ungodly. It means to be the opposite of God. And what's God? Holy, I'm not. What's God? Perfect, I'm not. What's God? Sinless, I'm not. But watch now. When we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, our sin is no longer visible. Hello? Jesus wants to clothe you in his righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things where you are now ashamed? For the end of those things was death. Death is the penalty for our violation of God's laws. He came to the most ungodly people. I need to move on. And finally, he did it for the grandest prize. He did it for the joy that was set before him. You're in the book of Hebrews. I'm going to finish here. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 12. Now remember the point. He did it all for the grandest prize. We're talking about the greatest missionary. Look at verse 2 and 3. Looking unto the author and finisher of our faith. Watch now. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Here's the grandest prize. You ready? Watch now. Who for the joy that was set before him. What's the joy that was set before him? Was it the crown of thorns placed upon his sacred brow, pounded in with the reeds? Was that the joy? Was it the joy of the beard being pulled from his face? Of course not. Was it the joy of the Roman cat of nine tails, a whip that had nine strips of leather, and with that nine strips of leather was metal and glass and bone that ripped the sinew from his back? Was that the joy? Was the joy the spittle in his face and the mockery? Was the joy carrying that cross down the Via Della Rosa up to Mount Calvary? Was that the joy? Was the joy the nails in his hands? And in his feet, was that the joy that was set before him? No, you want to know what the joy was? You. You are the grandest prize. Heaven's best was given for the earth's worst. We are the prize of Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He did it for you. And he did it for me. And he did it for every inhabitant of this planet. Over 8 billion people. And the faith promise card that Greg talked about, it was making sure that the rest of the world knows the story that you heard this morning and that you've heard hundreds if not thousands of times. And there are people in this world, watch now, no exaggeration, who have never heard the name of Jesus one time. Because in many countries, it's illegal to mention the name of Jesus. That's why the churches in China are underground. That's why in India, if you proselyte, you go to jail, if not publicly humiliated. But you know what? There's still missionaries in India. There's still missionaries in China. And no matter what they have to do, they're saying the sweet name of Jesus. I'm going to finish with this. And I, I, you've heard it many times. I've only got about a year's worth of statements, and after that, I have to come up with some new ones. Every McDonald's drive-thru, she's my witness. I have your track now. Every McDonald's drive-thru. I like the McDonald's because they have two drive-thrus. 
Wendy's, they're not as popular as McDonald's. They only have one. <laughs> and I get to that first window. I pay for my food. I wait for my change and my receipt. And then I pull this out. And I said, hey, I got something real important to tell you. They lean down. Jesus loves you. And this tells you all about it. Now, I would love to just preach a sermon at that window. But the guy behind me wants his french fries. <laughs> so I go to the next window. You know what I do there? Same thing. Every restaurant. Every place I go. One time I was at a gas station dock. I was pumping my gas in Detroit, Michigan. There was a guy who was working at the gas station. He was outside of the little store. And he had a towel wrapped around his head. Okay? You know what that means, right? So I'm pulling out of the parking lot, and I say, there's no sense of giving him a track. He's got a towel wrapped around his head. He's not interested. I get to the edge of the driveway, and the Holy Spirit, I don't think he called me dummy, but I heard dummy. And he said, turn around. Holy Spirit said, turn around. And you go give that guy with the towel on his head one of these. And you tell him that Jesus loves him. And I did. I don't know what happens to them all. I was at the office. She likes chai lattes from Wawa. I like getting chai lattes from her Wawa because I order it on my phone. I don't have to get out of the car. They bring it to me to curbside. And when I get a chai latte and the guy comes, I'll put money in there as a tip. I will. But they're not allowed to take tips. And they always give me the money back. But I always put it in there. This tells you how much Jesus loves you. The last time I did that, I watched him. He started. He opened it. And walking away, he's reading it. The word of God never returns void. Hmm? It's the planting of the gospel seed. Isabella and Lucas, if I'm pronouncing their name correct, got saved here Wednesday night. I didn't plant that seed. Somebody else in this room planted that seed in the Awana program. You know what I did? I watered it. The Bible says one man plants the seed, another man waters the seed, but God gives the increase. God makes it grow. This is a seed. Are you planting it? Is Jesus the greatest missionary? Hmm? He left the glorious possessions. He came the furthest distance. He paid the highest price, and he did it for the most ungodly of people. You know, when we think about the most ungodly of people, a name comes to mind. Adolf Hitler. I don't know if you've studied the Nazis in World War II, but Hitler was so humiliated that Germany had lost the First World War that he dedicated his life to change things around, and he did. He stole the chancellorship of Germany. He stole it. If you ever see a map of how much of the world Nazi Germany had conquered, they were almost there to get it all. It was at Normandy where the war changed. Six million Jews. I visited Auschwitz. I saw the remnants of the human hair. When it hangs around long enough, it loses its pigmentation, its color. I saw the lampshades made out of human skin. I stood in the crematorium. What remnants there is of it. The gas chambers. I saw the piles of shoes. Hundreds of thousands of pairs of shoes that they confiscated from those that they killed. It's mind-boggling. You just cannot conceive that a human being could do that to another human being. I thought to myself, didn't those Nazi executioners have kids too? Didn't they go home to their six-year-old little boy that they just gassed in a chamber? Hitler. Six million Jews. 600,000 gypsies. Not to even include and thank them the allied military personnel who gave their life in that war, thousands upon thousands upon thousands. When you think about Normandy as they advanced the beaches there, those frontline soldiers, I mean, they, there was no chance for them to survive. They're the frontline soldiers. They're gone. I saw statistics that says upwards of 50,000 people died because of World War II. Now, you, you watch this. Many died after the war was over because if you ever saw pictures of the infrastructure of major cities of Europe, they were destroyed. Europe invented bottled water. Do you ever think you pay for a bottle of water? Europe invented it. 
There's young people here saying, didn't you guys pay for bottled water when you were young? No, it was free when we were kids. Watch now, 50,000 people. They died of disease, sanitation after the war was over because of one man. Because of one man. We're talking about the most ungodly of sinners. Because of one man. Do you know that Hitler could have been in heaven? You say, preacher, you think he is in heaven? No, I think he's burning in hell. But he could have been. Why? Because John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. And that was written pre-Hitler, so Hitler was included. And when you think that the grace of God would extend into the darkest places of the human heart and wash it in the blood of Jesus and make them new creations in Christ, that's a great missionary. Do you know him? He's been proclaimed here this morning. I know there are other preachers who could have proclaimed him better. I would like to think I did my best. The question is, will you leave this auditorium without him? Or will you open up your heart and say, I want that Jesus that loves me so much. I want him in my heart. And preacher, today I'm going to open my heart to him. And I'm going to invite him to come in and do with me whatever he wants to do. When you calculate life, folks, three score years and 10, Moses said, maybe 80, maybe even longer, I don't know, Simone's dad went to 90-some. But when you calculate how short life really is, are you really prepared for the next one? It's going to be determined by what you've done with Jesus. Heads about and eyes are closed and no one looking around. For those of you who are not familiar with this part of the service, it's called the invitation. We also call it the altar call. The invitation that I'm about to extend is not my invitation. I'm not inviting you. It's Jesus who's inviting you. We take it from three places in the word of God. He says, come unto me. That's an invitation. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. The burden he's talking about is the burden of sin. He says to Peter and John as they're coming off the ship, he says, come and dine. He's inviting you to come and feast upon his word. And then in Revelation 22, 17, he says, come and drink of the waters of eternal life. This is not my invitation it's Christ, and he's saying, come, come. Now, we call it the altar call because we kneel here to make decisions for the Lord. You may say, why does my decision have to be public? Because Jesus was crucified in public. Naked and shamed on an elevation called Calvary for all the world to see. He also said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father which is in heaven. You deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father which is in heaven. That ratifies the public invitation. You say, well, it's just carpet and wood. That's all this altar is, carpet and wood. You're right, until you kneel here. And when you kneel here, God and the Holy Spirit will meet you, and this becomes a holy place. Your head's about and your eyes are closed. You know you need Christ. And you want that Savior in your heart and you won't leave here without him. And you say, preacher, that's me. I want Jesus in my heart. I want to open my heart to him. Would you put your hand up? I want Jesus in my heart. Would you put it up just for a moment so I can pray for you? I won't embarrass you. I won't call you by name. I don't know your name. I want Jesus in my heart. Preacher, I'm not going to leave here without him. Would you put your hand up that I could pray for you someone? Put it up just so I can see it. Put it up way up high. Just slip it up high. Heads above, eyes closed. Would you put it up, please? Yes, God bless you. Yes, God bless you. You may put that hand down. You may put it down. Is there someone else? I need Jesus. I, I'm not, I'm not going to rush the invitation, folks. The truth of the matter, this is the most important part of the service. We've prayed, we've given, we sang, and we've preached for this. One has raised their hand. Another has raised their hand. Two. 
Do you need Jesus? I won't leave here without him preaching. I'm not leaving here without Jesus. He's going home in my heart because I'm going to invite him in. Right here, today, now. Because the Bible says now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. When is that? When you've heard the gospel and you heard it. Is there someone else? I need Jesus. All right, Christian. He's in your heart. What have you done with him? Is he getting the worship that he deserves? Is he getting the service that he merits? I know we can't pay our debt that we owe him. I know that. But he asks us to honor him and glorify him. Give him the praise and worship and majesty that he deserves. And you raise your hand and say, preach, that's me. I want to honor my king. I want to honor my savior. Hands all over the auditorium, way up high, way up high. I want to honor my savior, way up high. I want to glorify him. Yes, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Maybe you're here today and say, preacher, he, he's a great savior, I know. But I'm going through something and I'm waiting for him to move. And it's just not happening. I'm facing sickness and finances or a marriage problem or a kid problem, a legal problem. I don't know what it is. But you say, preacher, he's just not moving. Would you pray for me, preacher, for what I'm facing? Yes, God bless you. Anyone else? Pray for me, preacher. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Father in heaven, it's me and you. We're talking. They're listening, but it's not for their ears. And really, Lord, I'm not praying to you just your ears. I'm appealing to your heart in the name of your son, my Savior, Jesus. And when you hear Jesus, you take notice, so I know you're listening. And Father, there were two hands raised that they won't leave here without Jesus. Now, Father, that means that they're going to have to come and answer the invitation to come. You said, Jesus, come. So, Lord, they need to put one foot in front of the other and come and kneel at this altar where it becomes a holy place and confess you before men. Father, I'm not talking about them getting baptized or joining the church or giving 10% of their money. That's not what makes us a Christian. That's what Christians do, Father. I'm talking about them opening their heart. Father, many of your children here today by uplifted hands say they want to worship you, honor you, magnify you. They can do that on their knees, and they should. And then there are those who says they got a burden. I don't know what it is. Your word says that man looks on the outward appearance, but you look upon the heart. I look around, everybody looks okay to me. What do you see? What's going on in the heart of that one or those who raise their hands? financial, marital, a health issue, a legal issue. I don't know. I dare not mention the whole list because I just might miss what it is they're going through. But you know what it is, and your word says to cast our care upon you because you care for us. I will look to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. God, our Father, creator of all that was, is, and ever will be, we come to you in the name of Jesus and ask you to help us today. In Jesus' name.